Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. Show. All right. We are doing a refuel. It is that time again. We wanted to do something special for the holiday season. So, yeah, Nicole. Yeah, so we thought, what's better for the holiday season than some gruesome tales of true crime and monsters that are involved with Christmas? And if you haven't noticed, guys, when I run out of like ideas in the middle of a sentence, I just go, yeah, Nicole. <laughs> it works out seamlessly, seamlessly. Yes, absolutely. No one could tell at all. At all. Clearly you planned that. Yes. <laughs> so, Eden, um, before we get started, I'm just curious. What's your favorite part of the whole holiday Christmas season? When it's over, usually. <laughs> uh, it's very stressful. So I, I like when it's over. But uh, other than that, I like the food. Mm -hmm. My parents, uh, we always do this French toast breakfast on Christmas. Oh, that's awesome. So it's like French toast and eggs and bacon and stuff like that. So it's always really good. Sometimes mimosas. Mm. Christmas mimosas. Lovely. Lovely. What is your favorite part? Uh, I think my favorite part is the music. I know that's like terrible because in oh, like God. in like two weeks I'm gonna be sick of it. Uh especially... why are we friends, Nicole? <laughs> <laughs> I should say it's certain songs that I love that I only listen to at Christmas time. It's not all of them. It's not like okay. that Mariah Carey song. Uh, uh but did you see that video with uh, the All I Want for Christmas is You where it's like the goth kids dancing under a bridge? No, I'll have to Google that because that sounds oh, it's amazing. perfectly timed. It fits perfectly and it's wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we're sufficiently in the spirit of things, you have a true crime story for me, I hear? I do. All right, guys, I'm going to talk a little bit about a man named Bruce Jeffrey Pardo. It's a crazy story, and I hope it leaves us all a little more in the holiday spirit. And by that, I mean depressed and stressed out. All joking aside, we all know how taxing the holidays can be, and this story is a prime example of the negative effects of the holiday season. We also know how tough the holidays can be, if you have other stuff going on, which is exactly how this escalated to the point that it did. I couldn't actually find a lot about his early life when I looked Bruce Jeffrey Pardo up, unfortunately, so I can't speak much of the type of person that he was before this, but I do know that every year on Christmas Eve, he would volunteer to be an usher at his church for Mass, where he lived in Covina, California, which is a suburb of L.A., uh, to sort of dive right into the events leading up to the crazy and to establish a good picture of his frame of mind. Uh, what are two major stressors around the holidays, Nicole? I mean, there's like the shopping for presents and then having the money to buy those presents. That's so I there's think. the money. Mm -hmm, the money. And then also, that's usually like the biggest one for people, followed very closely by loneliness. Well, that's true. That's true. It sucks to be alone on Christmas. Yeah, and both of those things were huge issues for Bruce this year. On the relationship front, he was getting divorced from his wife, Sylvia Orza, so it really wasn't a good time for him. And from what I was able to find, the two had been having problems for a while before the divorce and had tried therapy and other things, but at the end of the day, it just still wasn't working. They had met in 2004, and this incident happened in 2008, so they had been together for four years. Okay. On the money front, 
things weren't so great either. He had just been fired from his job at ITT Electronic Systems, so he officially had no income. He hadn't gotten severance pay, and he was denied unemployment. Also, the divorce was costing him a lot of money as well. Oh, that super sucks. He's in the worst of all situations for the holidays. Oh, yeah. He owed his wife $10,000 in, in the divorce settlement, which is a good chunk of change, especially when you need to buy presents for people and you don't have a job. Yeah. Yeah. Before losing his job, he was supposed to pay spousal support to her, which was costing nearly $2,000 a month. Oh, my God. That's like a mortgage on a really nice house. That's, yeah. Like, with the recent, uh, I guess, like, holiday pay that we're getting mm -hmm. at my work, 2000 a month is about what I make now. So that would be my entire month's worth of money. That's crazy. Going to my spouse. Another source said something about him working at a jet propulsion lab, uh, but they didn't give a name. So I don't know if that was one of his other jobs or if that was in the same vein or what's going on there. But I only found that one place. Gotcha. He also lost his dog in the divorce, which is really sad because I know exactly what that feels like. And that dog was his baby. That's like a sad country song too, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know I felt like writing a sad country song when I lost Damien in the divorce. <laughs> uh, so he also didn't get back his wedding ring, which was worth a good amount of money as well. So needless to say, this was a ridiculously contentious divorce. Um, you know, everything was nuts at this time. The settlement had been reached just days before Christmas Eve, so it really hit hard. I don't know when they filed for divorce, but he had lost his job back in like July or August. And I do know that the court battle had been going on for nine months. Wow. That's a really drawn out trial for divorce. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pardo even tried getting the amount of money that he owed her knocked down or taken away altogether since he said that his wife was living at home with her parents so she didn't have to pay any rent. Uh, plus, she bought a fancy car, she went gambling in Vegas, and she was getting massages and taking golf lessons. Hmm. So it seemed like she was living the high life. Kinda. Yeah, that does definitely seem like she's living her best divorcee life. Oh, yeah. I wish I lived that great after my divorce. <laughs> <laughs> so after some digging and listening to one of my favorite podcasts, The Dark Side Of... I was able to find out that he was fired from his job because he was billing customers for hours that he didn't work. I guess he was more of like a contractor, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And he was billing those clients for hours that he did not do anything. Oh, so he was kind of cooking his own books. Yep. So obviously, you know, with so much going on personally and the holiday stress adding to everything, Bruce just suddenly snaps on Christmas Eve. I don't know if this was something that he had planned over the course of a few days, but we'll get into that later. Um, or if it was just a sudden break. But in a macabre yet fitting turn of events, this guy decides to put on a Santa suit, take four semi-automatic pistols, load them up, and decide to drive over to his ex-wife's family's Christmas party. Oh, Dressed my. as motherfucking Santa with an arsenal. That's creepy. Extremely creepy. Oh, yes. And I'm assuming from the firepower that he was packing that this probably was premeditated. I think it would have to be. And the best and worst part of this is that the guy actually made a flamethrower and brought that along, too. What? So I guess you could say he was really packing some heat. <laughs> but also, what? A flamethrower? 
Yeah, it's like uh, from what I'm told, it looked kind of like a like a fire extinguisher, which is weird and ironic in the not real definition of ironic way. So I guess the mm-hmm. ironic version of ironic, <laughs> the last but... set version. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, he made a flamethrower by himself and was just like, "Fuck this shit." Oh so God. I'm assuming that it was premeditated. Yeah, that's like hours of searching through the darker underbelly of YouTube to get that info on how to make a flamethrower. Exactly. And I don't even know if YouTube had that kind of video yet because this was very early for YouTube since it was 2008. Fair. That's fair. Um, so he drives over to their house where this party is going on and he rings their doorbell. And this is the part that makes me so sad because their little eight-year-old niece is the one who answers the door. Now. You'd think even if you've gone to flamethrower Santa level crazy, you'd at least still be with it enough to spare a small innocent child, right? Yes. Not so much. She opens the door and he's standing there like, ho, ho, bye, Felicia, and shoots her directly in the fucking face. Oh, my God. Yes. So obviously this was not the most subtle approach and guests all started running in terror. This is not how Santa was supposed to behave, after all. So, Mm-mm. yeah. He just starts shooting at people, and the ones that he was able to stop from running away, he then went over to and shot directly in the head. Oh, so he's, like, straight up executing wounded people that he, like, yeah. ugh, ugh. So he ended up um, killing Sylvia, who's the ex-wife, mm-hmm. Sylvia's parents, her two brothers, her sister, two of their in-laws, and a 17-year-old nephew named Michael. Michael was the only one who didn't die from being shot, but uh, he ended up dying in the fire that I'm going to talk about now. So if all this wasn't enough, he took out the flamethrower and just started burning everything, presumably trying to hide the evidence, which any good forensic anthropologist would still be able to tell that they were all shot to death Mm -hmm. and any good arson detective would probably be able to see that the fire was not accidental. He didn't count on how crazy the flamethrower idea was though, and ended up burning himself pretty bad. So bad. In fact, that the Santa suit that he was wearing burnt into his skin as well, creating this probably polyester human hybrid now with this flamethrower, which is an even scarier sight to behold. I'm sure. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I just picture those like 80s costumes for children that are just like, you know, like a burst of fireball waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. Polyester Santa jammies. Yeah, it's attached to your fucking skin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he originally uh, just wanted to get the hell out of the country and flee to Canada after he finished his rampage. But now he was seriously injured and couldn't really go to a hospital without getting caught by police. So he totally fucked the dog on this one, as Rube would say from Dead Like Me. Another source said that the Canada thing wasn't true and he actually had a ticket to Minnesota instead, but the fl- uh, but he was flying on a Canadian airline, so that's where the mix-up occurs with the other sources. Mm, okay. Uh, so seeing only one way out of this mess, he decided just to commit suicide by shooting himself in the head. Wow. So he's like yeah. burnt up, all like messed up, and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to end it. Exactly. There were three survivors of the incident, one of which being his niece, whose name was Katrina, by the way, 
and I'm not even attempting to pronounce her last name because it's one of the crazy Polish ones with too many consonants again. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So can't do it. Um, but I'm really surprised that she survived because she, being shot in the face, that's crazy. But she survived, much like 50 Cent. Um, the other two survivors were a 16-year-old girl who I think was a cousin, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she'd been shot in the back, but she survived. And the final survivor I couldn't find a name for. But she survived by jumping out a second-story window. And I don't blame her one bit for that. I would have probably done the same thing. Mm-hmm. At first, they couldn't identify any of the victims due to the fire. But they were later able to use dental records to do so. I also found some interesting things through Wikipedia about this. First off, there's a song by Polly Styrene, who is the lead singer of the band X-Ray Specs. I love uh, them. I love Polly Styrene. Rest in peace. I know. I've, I've heard of them. I don't really remember what songs they did. but oh, we'll, we'll have to have a listen session. Don't you worry. Oh, I think we will. Uh, They wrote a song that refers to the Covina Massacre as the event ends up being labeled. Uh, It's called Black Christmas. Do you know that one? Yes. Okay. There's also a horror movie called Silent Night, which was also based somewhat off of these events. I don't know if I know Um, that horror movie. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I know it, but I probably haven't seen it Mm -hmm. because I might be thinking of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yes. Yes. That's totally what I'm thinking of. Exactly. So I know that we like to joke and have fun on this podcast, but seriously, guys, we care about you. And if you ever feel like this, and I don't mean you need to be at the point where you make a flamethrower, dress up like Santa and start shouting, ho, 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 motherfucker. Just remember that if the holiday season has you stressed or depressed, just reach out to someone. You can even reach out to us if you want. Just talk to someone. If you don't feel like you have anyone to talk to, there are resources out there, such as the National Suicide Prevention Hotline the number for which is 1-800-273-8255. There's also something called crisis text line, if that's more your thing. So just make sure to reach out because we really do care about all of you guys and don't want anything to happen to you. So now that we're done with being positive, let's get back to laughing about blood and mayhem. So what did you think, Nicole? (laughs) Well, uh, I think it's a very interesting story and it makes a lot of sense why it's that perfect storm of holiday stress that would kind of lead somebody to just take such horrendous action against, you know, basically their former family, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's sad. Ter- terrible. It was just insane. The second I heard that he dressed up as Santa into this, I was like, nope, need to cover it. Uh, but then, like, just reading about it, I, I feel kind of bad for him, but I feel worse for his victims, obviously. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's no reason to go flamethrower Santa-level crazy. Um, I can't believe he built a flamethrower. That like just blows I my know. mind. Yeah, uh, it. I don't understand him. I don't understand him at all. But oh well. Uh, but I just I really wanted to cover this because suicide is also so prevalent around the holidays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to kind of, I don't know, just make that more known, make people aware, I guess, of how much stress people. Or under, yeah, yeah. I think that's very that's very thoughtful of you. Well, thank you. My sources were Wikipedia, WhittierDailyNews.com, an episode of The Dark Side of called "Dark Side of the Holidays: Season of Stress," and NBCWashington.com. Well, thanks, Eden. Well, I think you know we we can take a quick break and just 
gather ourselves before I jump into my paranormal holiday story for you and talk about some wonderful, I guess you could call them Christmas cryptids. I like Christmas cryptids. Good, good. All right, we'll be back after a short break. Now that we got crazy flamethrower Santa out of the way. You're ready to dive back in? I am. Cool, cool. So, Eden, let me find my story for you. Alrighty. As I said before, uh, I have some delightful Christmas cryptids for you. Ooh. Now, the Christmas season has always been full of spirits. It falls during the darkest time of year when we gather around warm fire with friends and family and let our imaginations run wild about what creepy, scary, terrifying things that could be there in the darkness. We share lots of stories during these gatherings. We share stories about a jolly man who sneaks into your house to leave presents, magic flying caribou that may or may not have a glowing red nose, and of course, the miserly old Englishman who meets three ghosts and turns his life right around. Which I'm still disturbed about the fact that no one cares about a really fat man sneaking down your chimney and breaking into your house, essentially. Right? <laughs> That's still the creepiest thing. I'm glad that I didn't believe in Santa after the age of four. So. <laughs> Got out of that one early. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, be- I like bugged my mom about it for forever. And I was like, just tell me, is Santa real? And then she's like, no, he's not. Don't tell anyone at school. Don't tell anyone at school. I mean, that's a good thing for her to cover with you. (laughs) Yeah. And I secretly wanted to tell everybody, but I kept my mouth shut. That's so hard. That's so hard. Like, I know a secret. Exactly. (laughs) But for all of the uh, merry tales that we tell during the Christmas season, uh, we have some truly nefarious stories that keep us huddled together even closer around that fire. Uh, I rounded up a couple of my favorites that I'd love to share with you. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so first up, it's the beast from the east, the half-goat, half-demon Christmas monster, Krampus. Krampus. (laughs) Did you see that movie? Yes. Yes. Yeah, with Tony Paulette. Yep. It was pretty good. I liked it. Like a a Halloween horror movie. Yeah, it was like horror comedy, kind of. It was fun. Mm -hmm. So I just have a couple of uh, quick notes about what Krampus is, what he looks like, all that good stuff. Uh, And we can kind of chat a little bit about it. So first up, what does Krampus look like? Uh, Usually he's covered in black or brown fur. Often Krampus will have the legs and cloven feet of a goat. He has large goat horns and always a red forked tongue. Because medieval depictions of anything evil had to be more like animals because of paganism. Yep, yep. Excellent point. And that is definitely where Krampus kind of comes from. This is like very medieval tradition. Uh, He often carries chains, which symbolize the binding of evil and the devil by the Christian church. And he often has a bundle of birch sticks called a rutan, which he uses to beat naughty children. Because what else do you use to beat naughty children? I don't know, but that would be a good one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A wooden spoon, perhaps. Ooh, yeah. A wet noodle. A wet noodle. My mom always told me she was going to beat me with a wet noodle, so. (laughs) It stings. Um, in some traditions, Krampus also carries a whip, which is not as nice as a wet noodle. 
No. And he will have a sack or a basket, and in his basket, he'll use that to stow, you guessed it, naughty children. I think maybe the whip is just the al dente version of the wet noodle. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and there is some kind of uh, questions around whether Krampus really steals children or if he eats them or if he just carts them off to hell when they've been naughty. So, Oh, Jesus. Either way, you don't want to be naughty around Christmas time. I guess not. I mean, and here kids today just think the elf on the shelf is the worst thing they have to worry about. Oh, creepy elf on the shelf. He is creepy. I That's one of those things I'm so glad it wasn't around when, when we were kids because I feel like I would have freaked out about it. My cousin has these two elves um, and she put them like under these glasses and she says that they have to quarantine for a little while this year, she told her kids. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so what does Krampus do? Well, aside from beating naughty children and possibly carting them off to hell or to his lair for a late midnight snack. He always accompanies St. Nicholas, and Krampus Night is December 5th, which is traditionally the day before the feast date of St. Nicholas, and St. Nicholas's feast day is December 6th. I'm sure I learned the feast day of St. Nicholas when I was in Catholic school, but yeah, that memory, that knowledge did not stay with me at all. Yeah, so I, I remember St. Nicholas Day because we would leave our shoes out, out outside, the, a shoe outside of the classroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember now, right? You get the little candy or little exactly. you know, something in it, a little present. Oh, Catholic school. <laughs> yep, exactly. Now, Krampus is kind of the, the negative. If you could make it past Krampus night, then you're going to get rewarded on, on St. Nicholas's Day. Um, of course, while Krampus would beat children who behaved badly throughout the year, St. Nicholas would always leave small gifts for, the, for children who were well-behaved, and they would find them the next day if they survived the night. So kind of a high-stakes game of behavior i guess for kids very true so where does krampus come from well he sounds super pagan to me i don't know about you eden uh absolutely it's definitely some sort of uh germanic pagan tradition although i mean actually it could probably just be catholic because you know same difference really super anti-pagan yet exactly. steal all of their stuff well, you're, you're pretty spot on. Um, from my research, I was able to trace Krampus's roots back to very traditional German pagan traditions. Um, some scholars even say that Krampus is more of a representation of the pagan horned god and his association with the winter solstice rather than okay. this Christian figure. Uh, and then it's kind of interesting because, of course, as, as the Christian church comes into Germany, he kind of gets recast as this Krampus figure. And then more recent legends that kind of have spread throughout other parts of Europe, specifically into Scandinavia, those legends say that Krampus is actually one of the sons of Hel, the Norse goddess of the underworld. Oh, okay. Very interesting, his, his sort of folk traditions and folk roots, I think. Yeah, very interesting. And for those that don't know, uh, Teutonic, which is German, and um, Norse mythology— very, very similar, just slightly different names. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was big into studying up on mythology when I was a kid, so I know a lot about the different ones. See, you know a lot about mythology, and I know a lot about dinosaurs, because that's what I loved as a kid. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, Krampus, what does he bring to this Christmas season? Well, in Central Europe, like I mentioned before, that's Krampus night, the night of December 5th. Towns will actually hold something called a Krampusluf or a Krampus run. 
And this sounds super fun. It does sound fun. I don't even know what it is yet, but it already <laughs> sounds fun. Basically, on a, on a Krampus run, the participants drink a little bit and they get dressed up as Krampus and they fo- frolic in the streets and they kind of scare and chase around spectators and just have all around good time. So it seems like it's like, what is it, Dorney Park that does Halloween? Yeah, a little bit. It's a little bit like a Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> and then this other kind of lighthearted uh, sort of tradition when you compare it with, you know, what Krampus is, it's little like demon monster that will snatch snatch and beat bad children. But there's kind of this like beloved sort of Christmas figure that he's become. During the early 1800s, people started exchanging greeting cards featuring Krampus. They're called Krampus cartons. Ooh, and, I'd like that. Oh man, they're so cool. I looked up some on Google and I highly recommend people to do it. Um, the older cards definitely feature this much more frightening Krampus figure who's like looming demonically over these children with his big red t- forked tongue. And then as you get kind of more into the modern era, they're a lot more humorous and the Krampus is featured as more of like this party animal, like rollicking good time guy, or maybe just even like a cute little cuddly horned creature. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. He's... So he's either like, I don't know, like some kind of like teddy bear esque thing, or he's like, um, what was I just thinking of? Yeah. I don't remember. My brain just lost its train of thought. <laughs> He's either this Again. cute little cuddly creature or this demon from hell. Demon from hell. But there was a third thing that I was thinking of that I just can't anymore. So, oh, well, I'll let that one go. I think uh, uh, the more modern understanding of like Krampus in terms of like being like a revelry celebration is much more akin to like the horned god and, and almost a little bit like Pan in a yeah. way. Oh, that's what I was thinking. It was that um, he was was more like a Bacchus figure than yes. what you said about him partying. So mm-hmm. Very true. So uh, by the time we roll around to, to our modern era, the late 20th century, saw this huge boost of Krampus's popularity in Germany and Austria. And then it kind of spread out. It kind of flowed into North America and other parts of the world that have uh, large German and Austrian populations. Uh, increasingly, especially in North America, Krampus's appeal has grown in response to the over-commercialization of other Christmas entities. You know, I'm looking at you, Coca-Cola Santa. Looking at you. <laughs> Polar bears and penguins don't even live in the same place. Coca-Cola, stop it. <laughs> uh, it's so popular that, like, nowadays, and I don't know if you've, you've seen these, Eden, but you'll see, like, Krampus stuffed animals, greeting cards. There's Krampus TV and film. Like, we just talked about that Krampus movie with Tony Collette. Um, it's it's crazy. Like I've definitely been to some Krampus night parties and, and events at at various like Krampus costume parties and things like that. And it's funny because I think growing up, you know, in Pennsylvania, where there's a lot of German influence and you know lots of Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, you see Krampus is like I always heard about it from friends, but I don't think I ever saw it to that same level that you do now, where it's like Krampus celebrations. I December. hadn't even heard of him until like I don't know maybe ten years back. Yeah, I hadn't even heard of him. That makes sense. That that's sort of like the right around the time when he started kind of getting popularity in like America. Yeah. So that is my first like, Christmas cryptid. Always a good one. Very Always classic. One. Next, and of course, I've noticed this theme: the colder the climate, the more terrifying the Christmas cryptids. So we're headed off to Iceland. Ooh, you know some shit's gonna go down now. Mm-hmm. Love me some Iceland. Iceland is a place where children are treated to 13 nights of gifts and terror. Ooh, best of both worlds. (laughs) Exactly. 
So while kids in Germany only have to make it through Krampus night to make it to St. Nicholas's feast day and get some presents, kids in Iceland have a slightly different thing. Uh, I love Icelandic folklore since it's so chock full of weird things like magical trolls and other beings of myth that it's no surprise that Christmas gets its very own special cast of creatures to break up those cold, cold winter nights. Side note, I don't really speak Icelandic, and I'm probably going to butcher these names because I could not find any solid pronunciations on the internet. It's tough. Like, I was like, okay, maybe it'll be like Swedish. It's a little bit more difficult than Swedish. Swedish is pretty much phonetic, except for like weird certain words. Like sometimes like a K is pronounced as an SH in Swedish. So it's just weird. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, Icelandic's definitely a tough one to pronounce. So I'm I'm going to stray towards the English names for, for these creatures for the most part. So just fair, fair warning. Alrighty. All right. First off, let's talk about the Christmas creatures to avoid. First, there's the ogreous gorilla. Icelandic children have heard tales of gorilla since the 13th century. She lives... I kind of know who she is. Yeah, she sounds a little familiar if you know anything about Icelandic uh, folklore. Yeah. She lives in a cave in the hinterlands. And she has the magical ability to detect misbehavior in children all year round, which is kind of like a truffle pig since Gorilla's favorite food is actually naughty children, which she cooks up in stews. So truffle pig combined with elementary school teacher. Exactly. Gotcha. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eyes in the back of her head all year round. Yep. Now, each Christmas, Gorilla will leave her cave in the mountains with her g- giant s- sack for snatching children and then hunts down those naughty children and then takes them home with her and makes them into stew. Oh, yes. Okay, so I've definitely heard of her before because I remember that. Mm-hmm. Now, Gorilla isn't all alone in her cave, though, or in her hunt for naughty children. The second creature you're going to want to avoid on those cold winter nights around the holidays in Iceland is the Yule Cat. The Yule Cat. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you know what's funny about the, the Gorilla thing is... Th- in old, old Santa Claus lore, there's actually this one story about him, like, eating children. Mm. I just remembered. I forget where it comes from, so I can't really elaborate on it, but there is something about him eating children. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of, like, that's why you don't let kids wander off. It's like you scare them to, into, you know, if you get out, if you're naughty and you wander away, someone's going to snatch you and eat you. It's going to be a monster. I feel like that's a very common ancient human parenting technique. <laughs> Exactly. It's like we talked about at the last college that I did. Was it Millican University? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Millican. Where uh, they had stories about hauntings in that area before the college was even done. And it was mostly just to scare children away from going into the woods at night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a little bit similar to some of these Yuletide stories. Um, so I take it you haven't heard of the Yule Cat. No, I have not, at least not that I remember. Well, you know me, I'm a big nerd for cats. So when I found out that there was like a a Yule cat, aka I'm like, oh my God, Christmas kitty. Not so much. The Yule cat is actually Gorilla's kitty and it's gigantic. Oh. Uh, A lot of times it'll go by the name Jola. Um, I don't don't think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but. How's it spelled? J-U-L-A? Yeah. It's probably Yula. Yula. It prowls through the snowy countryside and it peers into windows to see what children have received from uh, the Christ- as Christmas presents. Now, the reason in the Yule Cat is peeking through windows and being a total creeper is that if a child's naughty and they don't, they have like one chance at redemption. And that chance of redemption is to get new clothes at Christmas. So if you're a naughty kid, you can kind of make up for it and save yourself from Gorilla and the Yule Cat by putting on your fancy new Christmas clothes, 
I have heard this. So that the Yule cat won't take you away and try to eat you. It's trying to get kids to appreciate when they get new clothes for yep, Christmas. Yep, exactly. So if you, and it's kind of funny because there's a lot of things like about, uh, a lot of stories about getting new socks. So you get your new socks and you better wear those as soon as yeah. you get them because the Yule cat will snatch you up and eat you for dinner. I, um, like Christmas socks just weren't a thing that we did in my family. Uh, but when I was married, I got Christmas socks for the first Christmas that I spent with my ex-husband and his family. And I love those Christmas socks because they're little penguins with Santa hats. <laughs> that sounds super cute. They are. I love penguins. Well, see, Eden, you'd be safe from the Yule Cat then. I would. There you go. But the only unfortunate thing is I have really big feet and fancy socks like that are normally like one size fits all. <laughs> and I normally break the elastic trying to get them on. So you have like fancy ankle Christmas socks? Yeah, right. <laughs> I wish they made the ankle socks, but they don't. All right, so now if you can survive the Yule season by avoiding Gorilla and the Yule Cat, you can enjoy some additional visits. And these will come from the Yule Lads. Now, the Yule Lads are Gorilla's 13 sons who also get to venture outside their home during the Christmas season because they also live in that cave with her in the mountains somewhere. And any other time, they're like, you never let us go anywhere fun. Mom, it's so lame. I hate quarantining. <laughs> Wear your mask or you won't be able to eat any children this year. <laughs> well, see, that's something it's kind of up for debate. Like, do the Yule lads eat children? We don't really know. I couldn't really find a whole bunch of stories about them getting in on the, the kids' stew that Gorilla's making. But each of them does have their own distinct kind of personality and behavior. And some of them like certain types of food and other types. But overall, they're kind of considered these merry and mischievous pranksters who like to leave gifts for children and cause a little havoc in the 13 days before Christmas. So the Sour Patch Kids from the commercials. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> they kind of remind me more of like in other traditions what would be like almost like brownies or okay. fairies in some way. But so all the Yule Lad activity starts on the night of December 12th. Children will leave out one of their shoes on the windowsill during the night. Each night, starting on December 12th, we'll have a... Again with the shoes. Yeah. Shoes. I mean, it's a perfect holder for things, you know. And then they also have, like, stories of elves, like, being cobblers and making shoes. Mm -hmm. so what is with the shoes? I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. Listeners, if you know what's with shoes, let us know. Yeah, please write into us. So each night, a, a different Yule lad will stop by and visit the children. And hopefully, for good little boys and girls, the lads will leave toys or candy and then for naughty children who haven't been eaten by their mother or their pet kitty, they will get prank gifts like coal or potatoes. Is this where the coal comes from initially? I don't know. That's a great question. I feel like that's just a very like kind of like basic thing to give a kid because it's like black and hard and not very fun, but it's kind of useful <laughs> when you yeah, have it around the true. house. <laughs> and no one wants useful gifts for Christmas. Exactly. I mean, I do enjoy a practical gift. But it also has On to occasion, be fun. Yeah. Like but Christmas fun. should be fun. You should have, you know, something that maybe you wouldn't necessarily buy for yourself. Exactly. For sure. So just to give you an idea of each of the Yule Lads' distinct personalities and their name that reflects their favorite pranks, I'll run through the list of who you can expect when. Sound good? Yes, please do. All right. On December 12th, the first night, that's the night for Sheep Coat Claude. 
Now, Sheepcoat likes to harass sheep and suckle from ewes and has a very stiff peg leg that makes him kind of makes it tough for him to move. Super weird, right? Yeah, that is strange. Yeah, so if you have if you don't take care of your sheep, he'll harass them. <laughs> December 13th is for Gully Guck, who likes to hide in gullies and wait for the opportunity to sneak into the cow shed and steal the foam from your milk. Oh, well, that's interesting. Mhm. Mhm. December 14th is for Stubby who is incredibly short and likes to steal frying pans and eat the leftover food that might be left on it. Okay, please do not steal my frying pans. I don't have very many of them. I need them. Thank you. <laughs> you got to keep them clean, Eden. I, I, I try. I always try. Well, then you don't have to worry about Stubby because he'll be like, meh, there's no food. Okay, good. Speaking of utensils, our next Yule lad who visits on December 15th is Spoon Licker. Spoon licker is extremely thin, and he likes to steal, you guessed it, wooden spoons and lick off any leftover food on it. Gross. <laughs> December 16th is for pot scraper. Guess what he likes to do? Steal Scrape pots. Exactly. He likes to steal unwashed pots and lick them clean. Kind of gross. So these guys just basically want you to do your dishes, mm-hmm. is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then finally, December 17th, you have the last of the... Of the uh, you know, tidy, tidy little Yule lads with bowl liquor. Now, bowl liquor likes to hide under beds, and he waits for children to fall asleep and will steal food nope. from bowls. Now, the re- the reason this is a particularly interesting one because it does very much tie back to you know olden medieval Icelandic uh, ways to store food. In the olden days, Icelanders used to store food in something called an askur. It's a type of covered food bowl, and you store it under your bed. Um, a lot of times, it would be used to make things like uh, you've heard of, like skier, like the Icelandic yogurt. That's yes. how that's the kind of container they would make it in. So, hence, bowl liquor would hide under the bed and like steal your food from your like storage container. What the hell? <laughs> he needs to get a job. <laughs> On December eighteenth, we're we're changing it up a little bit. You might get visited by the Yule lad named. Door slammer. Door slammer likes to stomp around and slam doors to wake people up at night in the house. Have you seen that video? I don't know what show it's from. I think it might be like Bad Girls Club or something, but she's like banging pots and pans together. She's like, I didn't get no sleep because of y'all. Y'all not getting sleep because of me. <laughs> it's <did>. like that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much that. That is true. December 19th, uh, speaking of skier, is skier gobbler. He likes to steal and eat skier, which is the traditional Icelandic yogurt. Uh, this would 100% totally be me if I were a Yule lad, because I love myself some yogurt. I like yogurt, too. I enjoy the Greek yogurt, which I know apparently it's bad for the environment because of how they make it, but it's still delicious, and I'm sorry, environment. You should try skier. It's just as like tangy as Greek yogurt, but a little bit, th- a little bit like mm, thicker, I guess, and it's not so wow. bad for the environment. Oh, okay. I'll check it out. December 20th is for Sausage Swiper, and he hides in the No, leave my sausage alone. (laughs) Are you sure? Yes. Sausage Swiper likes to hide in the rafters of your house and steal sausages that are being smoked. Oh. December 21st is for Window Peeper, who likes to creep around outside windows and steal anything inside that he takes a fancy to. Little pervert. I don't like him. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Window Peeper. Uh, now I think you can understand why I didn't go for the Icelandic versions of all of these names because I'm like, it would be butchering. No, it'd be bad. I understand. <laughs> like I said, avoided a Polish name in my story, so it's fine. 
December 22nd is for door sniffer. And I always laugh when I see pictures of this particular Yule lab because he has like a comically extremely large nose that he uses to sniff out and steal leaf bread. Uh, Leaf bread is this very traditional Icelandic Christmas treat. It's also known as snowflake bread since it's very round, almost like a cake, and it's decorated with a geometrical pattern of leaves, and then you like slightly fry it. Super yummy. But yeah, watch out for door sniffer. Yeah. Uh, December 23rd is reserved for meat hook. Now, meat hook is the Yule lad that likes that uses a hook to steal any meat that's left out. So his favorite is smoked lamb. And he will absolutely snatch that if you leave it out uh, on December 23rd. He can take all the lamb he wants because that is gross. <laughs> uh, funny side note, uh, a while ago, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like I will give my Wi-Fi network a ridiculous name because I feel like it deters my neighbors. Probably. Uh, and then a while ago, my one of my previous Wi-Fi network names was Meat Hook, so I felt a little kinship to this Yule lad. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> See, I don't even know how to change my Wi-Fi name. Well, I can show you how to change it when next time I'm over. Nice. And then finally, on December 24th, the last Yule Lad visits, and his name is Candle Stealer. And he basically follows children around and steals their candles. No. I know, right? Doesn't seem like that big of a deal these days, but candles were a super sought-after item in Iceland during those long winter nights. Oh, yeah, because it's so dark all the time, and I Mm -hmm. doubt there was electricity when this was going on. Exactly. And also they were made out of tallow traditionally in Iceland, which was oh. also edible. So like if you were really in a bind for, for nutrition, you could eat candles. Huh. All right. Crazy, right? That I did not know. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the next time I can travel and I am lucky enough to travel around the holidays, I am 110% ready to go to Iceland now. Even Me too. Right? It's going to be super cold and super dark, but I feel like they know how to have a good time at the holidays. Just remember, it's not as cold as Greenland, and you'll be fine. <laughs> so, Eden, what do you think? What do you think? Any final thoughts on Krampus or Gorilla, the Yule Cat, or the Yule Lads? Well, first of all, I still want to know about those shoes. What is going on? <laughs> uh, second of all, Iceland, way to be weird. I love you guys. Every Scandinavian country has like this just weird stories, mm-hmm. and I love it. I find it just so weird because like there's so many similarities with all these things. And I see where we get some of our traditions when we look back at these weird zany stories from around the world. For sure. For sure. I love it. I love tracing that too. Where you're like, why do we do that? Why do we bring a tree inside of our house? German pagan tradition. Exactly. <laughs> That's so weird. But uh, my sources for today's story were Encyclopedia Britannica, Wikipedia, and a couple articles from Smithsonian Magazine. Very nice. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. You're welcome. So now that we're in a, a holly jolly seasonal cryptid mood, I guess we can, uh, what comes next? Plug some stuff? I don't... Yeah. Normally we plug. All right, plug let's, away. Let's plug away then. Uh, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can do that in a number of ways. You can reach out to us via email. We are at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. You can find us online at roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. We're on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Roadside Horror Show. And on Twitter, we are Roadside Horror. Uh, also, do not forget to um, like and subscribe if you haven't done that already. 
Uh, also, please give us a review and a rating. We would really appreciate it. As always, we'd like to thank E. Massey for our intro and outro music and Yox Rocks Design for our logo. Until next time, guys. Creep, creep on, on, creeping on. on.